trying to answer this question here in Ephesians 5, are you imitating God? By the way, you is plural in Ephesians. It's plural. In other words, it's it's referring to the church. Is Are we, the individuals who make up the church, imitating God? And this is crucial in the greater context of Ephesians because Ephesians is all about oneness. It's all about unity. How can there be unity? How can there be oneness? If we're all going in different directions, looking at different places, following different people, you'll never have oneness and unity in that kind of a situation. So this passage is continuing the emphasis that we started last week, which is found in chapter 5, verse 1. Let me remind you. It says there in verse 1, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. How do we imitate God, though? That's the question. How do we imitate God? And so this text here is really helpful. The whole chapter, in fact, is really helpful because it shows us ways to imitate God. So let's just dig in here, starting in verse 8. Verse 8. It's continuing this context that was started there in verse 1. Verse 8 says, For at one time you were darkness... But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, It becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and... Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. We'll stop there for now. I know the the context continues on. Next week we'll look at, um, next time we're together on Ephesians, we'll look at what what does that command look like there? Be filled with the Spirit. How do I do that? How do I obey that command? Well, that's coming next time. But here we go. Are you imitating God? These are some ways... That God wants you to imitate Him. So that's that's basically your proposition, that God wants you to imitate Him. And so if we are to be a united church, a, a, a church of unity, it's only going to happen as we bear the light. That's kind of the theme of the, this particular text. So here, here's the first way to imitate God. Live as light. Live as light. Now, in the original language, this is a continuous command. It's not an option. You don't get to pick and choose this. Uh, you, you must do this, and it is present tense, so we must continually do this. Now, notice uh, there in verse 8 that, that the believers are not the light. Important distinction here. You are not the light. You are children of the light. 
In other words, Christians are reflectors. Reflectors don't actually have light. Reflectors are bouncing off the light. And that's a, an important distinction because we, we need to know who is the light in this situation. You're just reflecting the greater light. And of course, you if you know your Bible in John 8, verse 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. So Jesus, in the he is the light, and, and by light we just mean the good as opposed to darkness being the, the bad here. And so... Jesus is the light of the world. We are reflectors reflecting Him in a dark world. So it's kind of like, let me, let me illustrate it this way. I don't know the best way I can think of. What's the, what's the biggest, greatest light we have in our solar system? It's, of course, our sun, as you can see. Uh, now, it doesn't make it look very big in that because the sun's a long way away, but... Uh, you, you realize the moon doesn't actually have its own source of light. Right? The moon is just a reflector of the sun's light. Uh, and so the, the, earth, the earth gets to experience that when, when it's nighttime in our part of the world, right? Uh, sometimes you, you ever looked up at the night sky, you get to see the moon. And, and uh, sometimes, especially on these, these super moons, when it's a, it's a full super moon, really bright, you can... You can you could read a book <laughs> at nighttime because it's reflecting so much light off the moon, but it's it's it doesn't actually have its own source of light, right? It's just reflecting, and that's that's what we are to do. We are to live as children of Christ. <laughs> now, how are we to live as the light? You might ask. Well, glad you asked that question because God's going to tell you a few ways you're to live as light. And the first thing he says in verse 9 is to bear his fruit. You are to bear God's fruit. Now, the, the verse 9 is not an exhaustive list. It only, it's only telling you three parts of the fruit. Uh, Galatians 5 would be a fuller expression of the fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. But let's just highlight these three here. It's kind of summarizing Three really important parts of fruit. So notice verse 9, first of all, mentions goodness. Goodness is, is a good-heartedness toward other people. It's, it's the opposite of what chapter 4 talked about, the malice toward other people. Somebody who, is, who has malice doesn't have a good heart toward people. They, they have an evil heart toward people. And God says we're to have goodness, good-heartedness toward others. And then the second fruit mentioned is the righteousness. This is honoring God's standards here, especially in regard to morals. Some of the things mentioned like sexual immorality and impurity and that sort of stuff mentioned here. Uh, The third fruit mentioned there is truth. Truth is the idea of you're, you're displaying integrity, you're dealing honestly, you're speaking truthfully, so it's it's not just what you say, it's It's a whole lifestyle, or as some of your Bibles might say, a conversation or conduct. But uh, how are we to live as light? Well, the the first thing there is you're to bear God's fruit. You're to bear God's fruit. Good good trees bear good fruit, Jesus says. A tree that is alive is going to bear much fruit. But the, the second way to live as light there is you're to please the Lord. Please the Lord, verse 10 says. Now notice uh, there in verse 10, 
It says, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Discern, trying to discern has this idea where you are testing, you are examining something. And in this case, how do we test and examine to find out what is pleasing to the Lord? How do you know what is pleasing to the Lord? (laughs) Well, the Bible is incredibly helpful here, is it not? How else would you know what's pleasing to the Lord without the Bible? And, And the Bible doesn't tell us everything, but it does give us general principles for life. In fact, Peter said it this way, in in the Scripture we have everything we need for life and godliness. But it doesn't give you specific principles for every area of life. For example, did any of you find a Bible verse this morning that told you what you should wear to church? You know, what color, what, you know, you know... Anything like that? No, of course. You know, you didn't. You know, it didn't tell you what to eat for breakfast, right? You know, it doesn't. The Bible doesn't tell you all those specific things. It would be a you, you wouldn't be able to carry your Bible around if it told you all that sort of stuff. But the Bible, even though it doesn't do all those specifics, it gives you generalities. So, what do we do, or what what do we do? We, you have to use wisdom then in all those specific areas. Use wisdom to discern. How are you going to apply the general principles to the specific issues of your life? So we need wisdom, but where does wisdom come from? Well, of course, you know, the Bible says that God is the source. He's the author of wisdom. And, one, of course, one of the greatest books uh, to go for wisdom. A good starting point would for you to go to the book of Proverbs. Go to the book of Proverbs. By the way, if you have never read Proverbs every day for an entire month. I recommend you do that. Try that several times in your life. It's well designed to read one one chapter through the whole month. It'll give you great wisdom if you do that. It'll help you to know how to please the Lord. So how else do we live as light? Notice number three. mentions here that we are to separate from and expose the darkness. So, So the darkness is what's opposite to... Christ, who is the light of the world, as verse 11, it's a command, by the way, in verse 11, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. Now, that's the first part. You're to separate from the darkness. Christians are to have nothing at all to do with the evil ways and works of Satan and the world. Those are two of your enemies. The Bible says two of your enemies are Satan and the world, the system is what I mean by the world. So you're to separate from that. Instead, what are you to do? We see darkness is to be exposed and opposed wherever it is found. And by the way, in this context, that is especially true in the context of the church. I hope you don't just ignore the darkness in the church. Don't just separate it from it. That's not enough. God says you're also to expose it for what it is, particularly the false teachings, false doctrine, the error. Expose that for what it is. So what does it mean to expose? Expose means you're, you're reproving it. You're, you are to convince through argument and discussion of what it really is. You're, you're testing, you're examining whatever that is, person or or teaching 
and then you, you expose that to reveal what it really is. So are you puzzled by those two commands, by the way? <laughs> so on one hand of the command, you have something that says, stay away, but then the other command is, okay, expose it. Do you see the conundrum there? How can we have nothing to do with the deeds of darkness, but yet I'm supposed to expose them? All right, let me, let me try to help you out here, okay? Try to stay with my train of thought. The fir first thing that will be helpful here is to consider the context. The context has been what? It, it's, it's, it's all about idolatry. And those words there in verse 11, take no part, take no part in, means it, it's a partnership. In other words, don't, don't, don't come into the partnership with darkness. You're, you're not to take part in the evil. And so the temptation for Christians in exposing the darkness, the sin and, and all that, is to forget the exposure and then you become like the darkness. That's the danger. And so how do we know if we are starting to take part in sin? How do we know if we're becoming a, in, in a partnership here? Well, perhaps the best test is whether you are actually bold enough to call the darkness evil and expose it. I know. Some of you just despise conflict. Right? That, that's, that's the last thing I want to do. I hate conflict. Well, God commands you to do it. It's not an option. Uh, a second thing is that you have to consider the motive for mentioning the matter. Look at verse 10. Because verse 10 says, And you're trying to discern what is pleasing to who? The Lord. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> so consider the motive here. Why, why are you even mentioning it? Our motive to figure out what will make us more holy and, and for Christ's name more hallowed in this world. Are we pleasing God or pleasing self? You, you, you've heard me say there's only two choices on the shelf, right? Pleasing God or pleasing self. That's it. So what's your motive? And, and a third thing to consider here is the instruments of the exposure. So if you look at verses 13 and 14, so notice the darkness is best exposed by light rather than just giving more darkness. Like, duh. Right? If you're in the dark and you want to see, just leaving the lights off isn't going to help, is it? Well, that's kind of obvious. So think about this. A, a faithful marriage, a godly life, a frugal lifestyle, gracious speech, is going to do far more to expose the deeds of evil than, than partnering up with the culture. See, if you, Jesus put it this way, you need to have an influence. Let your light shine before men. <laughs> That's how Jesus put it, Matthew 5. So you can't expose something if you're just like it. If, if you just put more darkness with darkness, then you have darkness. There's no difference. So Jesus says, reflect him in the dark. And the fourth thing to consider is our awareness of the danger, because the end of verse 14 is very interesting. The end of verse 14, the, the Apostle Paul there is quoting a Christian hymn whose source is unknown, 
but what is he doing there when, when he says, uh, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So Paul here is calling the church to awaken from the dead. And that's a command. We need a wake-up call. It's kind of like your alarm going off in the morning, waking you up out of a deep sleep. We need this wake-up call. It's kind of like the, uh, I don't know, if you're staying at a motel. You, any of you ever told the uh, the desk at the motel, uh, hey, I need, I need help getting up in the morning I, I, for whatever reason, right? And so the, the desk at the motel rings you and calls you in the morning to wake you up. That's kind of like what God's trying to do here to the church. Wake them up. And a fifth thing to consider here is the aim of our actions is what? It's Christ's glory. It's Christ's glory. If you look at uh, verse 14 there, Christ will shine on you, it says. So if you're a child of light, then your highest aim is going to be to make Christ shine on us and reflecting Him to the world. It's all about Him. It's not you. You're just a reflector. You're just a mirror. So we, we see here, first of all, in order to imitate God, you need to live as light. Being that mirror, reflecting Christ. But number two, live as wise. Live as wise. It's interesting how often the word walk, by the way, I've changed the word walk to live, because that's the idea. How often Paul uses the word walk in chapter 5 in particular. In verse 15, he says, look carefully then how you walk. In other words, the idea is, look carefully how you live your whole life. Live is wise. Well, how do I do that? Well, number one, look carefully how you live. Again, a command in the Greek, continuous command. So Paul's command here for believers, by the way, is to see they walk carefully. And that's based on what he's already been teaching. Because notice, have you noticed how often the word therefore shows up? <laughs> like, like in verse 14, shows up again. Therefore is referring immediately back to that call that's mentioned there in verse 14 for believers to walk as those who've been raised from the dead. You've been saved. You're, you're to live in Christ's light. And it's also reaching even further back, going all the way back to verse 1, where you are to imitate God as His beloved children. Your, your state, your position is a child of God. So live like it. And Christians are to walk wisely rather than unwisely because they're God's beloved children. See, your, your family and your whole environment in that family affects you. Or it should. You are saved. You're a child of God. Live like it. And number two, how do I live as wise? Well, you're to discern between what is wise and not wise. Discern what is between wise and not wise. Because notice verse 15, you're looking carefully how you walk. Don't, don't live as unwise, but notice it says, but as wise. And those who are wise are going to have a, a right attitude to a lot of things, but in this context, it's interesting, in the very next verse, it, 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 it talks about time. Somebody who's wise understands at least a little bit about Time. What's the right attitude toward time? Well, 
God says, number three there, you're to make the best use of time. You're to make the best use of time. And if you're wise, you're going you're gonna to recognize who does the time really belong to? You or God? Of course, it belongs to God. Everything belongs to God. And why are you to make the best use of God's time? What does the verse tell you? God says, it's because the days are evil. There's darkness all around us, right? Sadly, sometimes in us. And so Paul's saying here, Christians, church, seize the day. Don't let this opportunity pass. Take advantage of the moment that God provides for you. Take advantage of it. Use it wisely. That's what a wise person does. But a foolish person doesn't. And it's interesting, in verse 17, we see number 4 here. Don't be foolish. Don't be foolish. Again, it's a command. And so this this foolish person, there's a problem here. And one of the problems with a foolish person is they lack discernment, particularly in, in practical living. They don't know what practical living looks like, at least in trying to please the Lord and honoring God. So how do we gain discernment? How do we not be foolish? How do we gain the discernment so we can please the Lord? Well, number five is you understand God's will. Understand God's will. Because understanding God's will, I don't know if you can see this here or not, there in verse 17. Because it doesn't pop off the page, but it's actually a great participle, which, which is showing you how to obey that command of do not be foolish. So understanding God's will, interesting, how do you do that? Well, God's basic will is found for you in Scripture. And so here we find His perfect will and these sufficient guidelines, if you will, for knowing and doing what's pleasing to Him. But the will of which Paul seems to be speaking here is the Lord's specific leading of individual believers. Although his plans and directions for each believer are not found in the Scripture, as we we mentioned earlier, his general principles for understanding God's will are certainly there. By the way, God does not promise to show us his will through visions. He doesn't promise to show us his will through uh, strange coincidences or, or uh, even miracles. Uh, he, he, do, he doesn't promise other ways as well, but hopefully you get the point. God is not trying to play a divine guessing game with you. <laughs> God's desire is for His children to understand His will. He wants you to know His will. And, and He gives us every possible help to know it and to obey it. And God does not want us just simply to know His will. He wants His knowledge then to lead to something. What do you think, what do you think it's supposed to lead to? It's to lead to right behavior. Right behavior. Right living. So what is God's will? Well, I like what this commentator says. Quote, you look on the screen here. It says here, in Ephesians, the will of God is closely related to, even identified with, God's gracious saving plan, and 
as a significant element of this, the formation of a people into the likeness of Christ who will be pure and blameless on the final day. There you go. God's will for you is ultimately, as Romans 8 says, is you're to be conformed into the image of Christ. Well, if you do that, you're not going to have a problem imitating God then, will you? (laughs) You won't have a problem at all. But there's a third way you can imitate God. What a better way to imitate God than to live as spirit-controlled. If the third person of the Trinity is controlling you, you're not going to have any issues of imitating God. Right? You you walk in the Spirit, as Galatians 5 says, walk in the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of your flesh. So verse 18 is a command. The, the, The negative part is mentioned first. Do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. So being filled is the command there. You continuously, interestingly enough, in the Greek it's passive, which just means you can't do it. <laughs> You're just passive. You're just sitting there, and you are to yield, you are to surrender, and allow the Holy Spirit to do this work in you. Now here's what one commentator said. This is long, sorry, but it's, <laughs> I found this really helpful. So here's what he says, quote, We should understand that, fundamentally, our faith is not about what we do, nor is it about what we think. Our faith is fundamentally strengthened by understanding who we are through the indwelling Christ. We are who we are because of our union with Him. If we make what we do the integration point of our faith, then we become pharisaical. In other words, we act like Pharisee. With the judgment of others' behaviors, the preoccupation of our religion. If we make what we think the integration point of our faith, then we become rationalistic debater with judgment of others' faulty doctrine, the preoccupation of our religion. Only when the integration point of our faith is knowing and living. You see both? Knowing and living. It has to be both. So, only when the integration point of our faith is knowing and living out the fullness of the person of Jesus Christ will his person and witness be the true preoccupations that fill our lives. Right doing and thinking are necessary for this proper filling, but Christ alone is the aim, the object, and the goal of what we do and think. So you have no hope of imitating God if Christ, if it's not all about Christ. If you're pursuing the wrong object, then you'll never imitate God. So it has to be all about Christ. So how do we live then as spirit-controlled? Well, as the Bible often does, particularly in Ephesians, there's a put-off and a put-on. Here's the put-off part. Number one, you must empty your life of anything in this world that holds you under its influence. There's a lot of things that want to hold you under its influence. So being controlled by the Holy Spirit is absolutely essential for living the Christian life by God's standards. See, God's way can't be properly understood or faithfully followed apart from the working of the Spirit in the life of the believer. 
But before Paul commands us here to be filled with the Spirit or be controlled by the Spirit, notice what he does first. He gave a contrasting and negative command. The negative command is do not get drunk. (laughs) Now here's the problem. Getting drunk is a hindrance to, and it's, it's the counterfeit of being filled or controlled by the Spirit. Now here's the point that God's making. Getting drunk is a mark of darkness. It's a mark of foolishness. But being controlled by the Spirit here is the source of the light and the wisdom that you and I need. And so this command is a part of the the greater whole, if you will. So think about it. God doesn't want you to be controlled by other people or things. God wants you to be controlled by Him. If you're controlled by Him, then you're going to imitate Him. But what sort of a thing can influence you? Well, not just wine. By the way, it's the alcohol. So it's not just alcohol that can control you or influence you. There's all sorts of things. So people can be controlled by their their lust. So they, they dive into pornography or uh, some people are adrenaline junkies. Right? They want that next, you know, it's not a drug. I got to jump off a cliff or go bungee jumping or, you know, do, you know, go off Sky Tower or something, right? Because they need all those hormones flowing through them. So they're thrill-seeking, or, you know, it's, it's television, music, their friends. Uh, i got to play sports. <laughs> or I need a computer game, or I'm going to go crazy. Or, um, you know, the Internet. I, you know, i got to be on social media, or my hands are going to, you know, they're going to catch on fire or something. I don't know. Um, I hope I'm not stepping on your toe here too much, but for, for some people, you know, it's... I don't know, a hobby like scrapbooking even, you know. Whew. For some people, it's work. Work, <laughs> yeah. Work can be too much of an influence on you. Now, other people, it's the, kind of the opposite. It's their recreation. For some people, it's death by chocolate. Or just food in general. Or, you know, i got to get some retail therapy in, or I'm going to go crazy. Those are just a few of the many ways, the things that can control us and influence us in negative ways. And, and God's saying, you have to let go of those, release those. Don't allow those things to press you into their mold. Instead, you, you must be controlled by the Spirit. That's number two. Number two, you must be controlled by the Spirit. So the work of the Holy Spirit in us can be obtained only as He fills us. It's kind of like, think, think of a glass of water. What, what happens when you fill, when a glass is empty? It's just air, right? If you want to get rid of the air, just fill it up with water. Fill it all the way up, and then it's filled by the water, the H2O. Now here's the good news, my friends. Every Christian is indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and therefore you have, you have the potential of receiving all of Christ's promises. But no Christian is going to have all those promises fulfilled who is not under the control of the Holy Spirit. Why would he do that? 
By the way, uh, <clears throat> is the command important? Absolutely, yes. Without the control of the Spirit, you will never know the assurance of heaven. You're not going to know the joy of the uh, effective work for the Lord. You're, you're not going to have your prayers answered, just to name a few things. So, we need to think of some important questions here. Let's start with the negative, okay? What does it not mean to be controlled by the Spirit? There, there is a lot of confusion on this. So, let's make sure we're clear here. Crystal clear by looking at some negative things, what it's not. And then we'll talk about what it is, and I'll give you some examples to help you understand this. So, what is it not? Well, I've, I've gathered this from lots of different sources. So, first of all, here's the first one. It is not... A dramatic experience of where you're just suddenly energized into some permanent state of advanced spirituality where you, you've had some second act of blessing sometime after your salvation. Okay, maybe you've, you, there's certain movements out there that talk about this second act of blessing that comes after salvation. That is, that is not what it means to be filled with the Spirit. A, a second one to consider is it's not a temporary zap that results in you just having some ecstatic speech or amazing visions. Seeing a 900 foot Jesus, for example. Right? That, that, is, that is not what being filled with the Spirit is. Some of you actually know what I'm talking about, apparently, because you're laughing. Uh, another one is it, it's not simply trying to do what God wants us to do with the Spirit's blessing, but, but you know, you're just basically doing it in your own power. No, this is not your own power. Because being filled with the Spirit's passive. Uh, another one is it's not the same as being possessed or being indwelt by the Spirit, because the Bible's clear. You are indwelt. Every believer is indwelt or possessed by the Spirit at the moment of your salvation. At that very moment, the Holy Spirit comes and resides within a believer. Another one is it's not, a pro it's not something that's progressive. It's not a process. It's not a process of progressively receiving the Spirit where there's all these... Um, you know, these levels or degrees, right? It's not a one to ten where you're just kind of working yourself up the ladder, so to speak. And, and the reason is because every believer possesses the Holy Spirit in fullness. You're all at level ten the moment you're saved. <laughs> you don't start at level one and work your way up the ladder. You don't have 10% uh, of the Holy Spirit when you're saved. And then somehow, you know, you work your way up to 20 and 30. It doesn't work that way. You get all 100% of the Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation. Another confusing one is, it is not the same as the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which the Bible does mention, because every believer has been baptized or immersed with the Spirit. Every believer has. It's not the super spiritual ones, okay, and the last one that needs to be mentioned here is it's not the same as being sealed by the Spirit or 
secured by the Spirit, because that particular work and ministry of the Spirit was accomplished again at the moment of salvation. That happened at the moment of your salvation. You were secured and sealed by the Holy Spirit. So your glorification is assured. You don't believe me? Read Romans 8, 28 through 30. You can see the the golden chain of salvation there going all the way from your calling and justification to the ultimate glorification. Anyway, so that's what it's not. You say, man, I'd really like to know what being controlled by the Spirit is because I'm supposed to live like this. I'm glad you asked because here it is. What does it mean to be controlled by the Spirit? Well, because the Greek word for be filled is a present passive imperative verb, it could literally be translated, be being kept filled. I know, that's kind of confusing, isn't it? So, <clears throat> it's, it's passive. So you're, you're to allow this to happen to yourself. But it's, it's a continuous thing because it's present, right? Be being. Being is this idea of just, you're to keep allowing it to happen all through your whole life. But it's a command. You, you, you don't have the option here. You, you must be controlled by the Spirit. And so it's, it's a very important command. You say, why? Nobody can fulfill God's will apart from being filled with His Spirit. It's His will. In other words, if we don't obey this command, you cannot obey any command. The reason you can't obey any command is because the Holy Spirit is controlling you. Although every Christian, of course, is indwelt and baptized and sealed by the Spirit, unless the Spirit's controlling you, he, he will, you will live in spiritual weakness. You will be frustrated. You will be defeated if you're not controlled by the Spirit. And by the way, the continuous aspect here of being filled, is, it involves something that is day-to-day. It's a moment-by-moment submission to the Spirit's control. So at one, at, at one minute in your life, you can be controlled by the Spirit, and then the next minute, you're not. And, and that can be frustrating. But you need to understand that happens to you throughout the day. And, and the, the passive aspect there is indicating it's not something we do, but it's something you allow to be done to you. The filling is entirely the work of the Spirit. Entirely. He works only through willing subjects. So the present aspect of that command there is indicating you can't rely on a past filling. You can't live in some future expectation. It has to be a present reality. And so you can live only in a present filling. So how does the word filled there uh, get used elsewhere in the Bible? I found this really helpful looking at cross-references to understand uh, what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Well, Scripture is its own best commentary, so let's think of some examples. And then maybe this will help you to understand better what it means to be filled with the Spirit. So three, I'm just going to look at three examples from Scripture. Number one, first example, and I've given you some pictures because I know some of you are visual learners. So here you go. You visual learners, to be filled with the Spirit is, is kind of equivalent to a wind sail. And if you're not a sailor, you that 
the wind just went over your head, didn't it? So, so, so the word filled, there's a beautiful sailing ship, isn't it? Gorgeous, isn't it? But um, that, that ship is going to be dead in the water unless there's wind. And, and it has sails. But the word filled is, is often used of the wind filling a sail, and in the process, what happens to the ship? It moves the ship. The ship can move as a result. So to be filled with the Spirit is to be moved along in our Christian life by God Himself. See, if you try to do it on your own, it's like having no sails and no wind. You're, you're, you're not doing anything. You're not going anywhere. You must have the sails and the wind moving you. Uh, the second example used in the Bible is salt. Yummy, salt. So some of you are going to be, the, the saliva is just going to start forming in your mouth. Now you see a yummy steak with some salt on it. Good, that's what I'm trying to accomplish. Because the, the word filled in your Bible there, in Ephesians 5, carries this idea of permeation. It was used of what, what you know, before refrigeration, salt was permeated into the meat, not just for flavor, but to preserve it. And so permeation is what happens, uh, for example, when I make dill pickles. I love dill pickles. And so salt is one of the ingredients, along with vinegar. That, that permeates the gherkin and turns it into a dill pickle. It's a wonderful process. Praise God for it. But God wants His Spirit to turn you into a dill, not a dill pickle. <laughs> Otherwise, we'd have a bunch of sourpusses around here. But He wants you to be a beautiful tasting thing. All right? He wants your life to be permeated with the Spirit so that everything you think, you say, and you do are reflecting Christ. And then you'll be able to imitate God. A third example in Scripture is a glove. A glove. Filling has the idea of total control. Think of these beautiful fingerless gloves. All by themselves. They might be nice, but can they do anything? No. <laughs> and so the Christian who is like a hand in a glove is filled with the Spirit, and then, and, and then you can actually do something, right? Until that glove is filled by a hand, the glove is powers, powerless, and it is useless. That's the point. It's designed, the, the glove is designed to do something. It's not just there for looks. But it can do no work by itself. It needs a hand in order to work. And a Christian needs the Spirit in order to work as well. A Christian needs the Spirit to please the Lord and to imitate the Father. And guess what? You can produce nothing of spiritual value without the Spirit's control. If you get nothing else, remember that, okay? You say, okay, great, okay, um, I'm supposed to get rid of all these, these influences in my life, like alcohol and, and everything else that would hinder me from imitating God, and I need something that will allow me to imitate God. Okay, so I see the command here is to be controlled by the Spirit. So what are the resources? Here's where we're going to end. What are the resources 
that God has provided for you to obey his command here. How can the church obey this? Well, to be filled with the Spirit is going to involve several things. Okay, First of all, you have to put off sin. God's resource for you is confession of sin. In order to put off this sin, you forsake it and confess it. You have to acknowledge the sin. You have to know it, see it the way God sees it, and then forsake it. Number two there is surrender of everything. To be filled with the Spirit is going to involve this surrender of your whole being. And that includes your will, your mind, even your body, your time, your talent, your possessions, your emotions, every part of your, your being. Now, number three, it's going to include uh, death of your selfishness. Death of your selfishness. It's the slaying of your self-will. It's the death of self. You're going to deny self. You're going to take up Christ's cross. You're going to deny yourself and follow Him. And then number four, you're going to let Scripture dwell within you the idea is there scripture infuses every part of your being you're 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 100% controlled by the spirits charles spurgeon put it this way that the christian's blood should be bibline is your blood bibline in other words bible like if somebody pokes you is bibline going to come out the idea is you're, you're, you're bleeding Scripture wherever you're poked or cut. You're going to bleed Scripture. You're so indwelt, so permeated by Scripture, that it, it can't help but come out of you. Because it's everywhere in you. That's the idea. That, that's the way God has designed it. That is your resource. And so, to, to kind of summarize this, you're to live in the personal presence of Jesus Christ in such a way as if you were as if you were standing right next to Jesus Christ himself God is everywhere and, and then allow his mind to dominate your life that's the idea okay allow his mind to dominate your life his mind well how do you know what that is again it's scripture it's the bible if the Bible is dominating your life, permeating you, and pickling you in such a way, then it will be dominating you. So may God enable us to imitate God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the, these resources you've given to us. Thank you for the clear instruction in these, these commands here of how we can imitate you. We ask for your grace to enable us to do this. May we not do this for ourselves, but may we do it for your honor and glory, but at the same time recognizing uh, you do everything, yes, for your honor and glory, but it's also for our good. So may we see you as a good God who loves us. This is what's best for us. May we not just tick the boxes, so to speak, and do these things just to tick a box and to mark it off the to-do list. But may we see there's, there's a greater motivation here. May we really love you.
We do this out of love because we are your beloved children. What a wonderful, glorious concept. May we understand that and live it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.